So, I have a question for you. Have you ever made God wait? Just think about it. I know the, I know the, the Sunday school answer is, I would never. I would never. If, if God was making himself known, if God was speaking, I would act on it like that. Right? Have you ever made God wait? Are we making God wait right now in some aspect of some area of our life? If we say it in, the, in, a, in that big way, have I ever made God wait? My answer is probably no. But if I, if I kind of unpack it a little bit, I make it a little more specific and ask it this way, our answer might be different. Am I making God wait in any specific area of my life? That's a little different, isn't it? Isn't it? The, the idea that I would make the Creator wait for me is it, that I can't even comprehend that I would, I would do that. But if God has been speaking to me, if God has been challenging me, if God has been making something aware to me, the Holy Spirit has been, dare I say, knocking on my door, saying, hey, we need to talk about blank. We need to talk about this attitude. We need to talk about this behavior. There's some things that I really want to talk to you about and change. Do we ever make God wait in those kinds of moments? And now I have to answer, yeah, absolutely. It may be that even this morning as we've gathered in his name and you walked in and you came and you got your coffee, your, your donut, whatever it is, there's no judgment. If you got a donut, no judgment. And you came and you sat down. It could be that even as you're coming into here and you're finding your place, that God this week and in this moment has been speaking and saying, hey, we need to talk. There's something you and I need to address. And we have been making him wait. In the last of the seven letters, we, we come to chapter 3, verse 14. We've looked at six letters. This is the seventh one. This is the last one that Jesus gave to John to write down as the book of Revelation opens up. And as we come to the, the seventh, the last one, the church of Laodicea, we find this phrase that Jesus articulates, that he speaks to, to John, this idea of God knocking on our door, that he's knocking at the door. It's such an interest, interesting moment. We, I had this last night. Um, we had some people come over, and now there's not... Not this, it's, we have one of those ring things, and there's that sound, and my dog, like Pavlov's dog, instead of a bell, whenever that ring sound goes off, even if it's the wind making the flag blow out front or whatever, if that ring sound goes on either of our phones, she jumps up and she begins to bark at who knows what. But there was that moment where there was that sound and there was the, the reality that somebody is at my door. And I can't ignore it. Well, I could, but that would be really rude, right? Because these people were invited to come over. It would have been rude for me to ignore someone was at the door wanting to come in. And typically we respond to that in that moment by saying, come on in. We don't make them wait. You know, I'm not sure I like this person a whole lot, so I'm going to, what, 20 minutes? Does that sound fair? I just leave them outside for 20 minutes in the rain and then maybe. Oh, that doesn't, we don't do that, right? 
And it's in this, our text this morning, this letter that Jesus dictates to John to this church, this group of, of Christians, followers in Laodicea, that he's at the door and he's knocking at the door. Look at verse 14. He says, John, write to the angel, the messenger, the pastor of the church in Laodicea. And here, let me remind them of who is speaking. The amen, the faithful and the true witness, the originator, the source of God's creation says this. So just pause there for a minute with me. Who is speaking? How does Jesus introduce himself in this letter? He says he is the amen. We say that word a lot within Christian circles, don't we? Within the church. Amen? There you go. See, you guys are you're just like Pavlov's dog. If I say amen up here, then we just without... Now, pause with me. How many times... Don't answer, but in your head think how many times do we just say the word amen without really giving it any thought it's just kind of this you know how guys greet each other master pat yeah see that see yeah yeah you know what does that mean it's just a thing that we do right and it happens with amen but amen is a very significant word and it's interesting that jesus takes it as a title he calls himself the amen Look at, uh, listen or look at uh, behind me the, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. As God is faithful, the Apostle Paul says, our message to you, to the church in Corinth, the gospel that we preach to you is not yes and no, it's not back and forth, it's not either or. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, there's the message of the gospel, who Jesus is and what he has done, and it was preached to you by me and Sylvanus and Timothy, it did not become yes and no, it wasn't back and forth. On the contrary, the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ is a final yes. It's yes, it's sure, it's fixed. For every one of God's promises is yes in Jesus. It's yes in him. Therefore, the amen, Jesus Christ, the amen, is also spoken through him by us for God's glory. The word amen is interesting because, it, in fact, it's referred to sometimes as the most universal word on the planet. It, it's, it's transliterated directly from the Hebrew to the Greek and then to the English and into many languages. In fact, in everywhere that I've gone, and I've not gone everywhere, but I've gone quite a few places around the world, everybody, whatever language is your heart language, they say the word, amen, amen. And it's, it's, it's from this Greek or this Hebrew, originally it's from this Hebrew word which means to believe or faithful. It means to be sure, truly. And Jesus introduces himself in this letter as the amen. He also says that he is the faithful and true witness. The faithful and true witness. That's a title, that's a claim that no one else other than God can make. No one is perfectly, consistently faithful and true in everything that we think say and do. Would you agree? Even the best among us, even the most faithful, we use that word to describe. I would describe my wife as faithful. She's put up with me for almost 40 years. That's, that's some true faithfulness. But she's not perfect in her faithfulness. She doesn't always speak the truth. <gasps> hit him. Just you hit him. Just There you go. Smack him. There you go. 
If you didn't hear, he said amen when I said that. Only Jesus is the faithful and true witness. He is, it, he's saying, there's nothing that comes out of me, nothing about me that is not true to truth. He is always faithful. The faithful and true witness, and finally he introduces himself as the originator, literally the source of God's creation. Many of us are familiar with John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And it goes on to say, nothing that's been made was not made apart, was made, wasn't made apart from him. But I, I also love Colossians chapter 1, where Paul is writing and he says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For everything, everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions. Whoa, we've moved from the physical, the biological, what we understand geographical, right? Light, darkness, all the, the, seven, the six days of creation, all the physical. But he also has moved into the invisible, the spiritual, the things that we can't see with our eyes or touch with our hands and yet are very real. Thrones, power, authority, dominion. Did you catch that? All authority, dominion, is created by who? By Jesus. Now, now hover there for a minute. That's, that's easy for us to say theologically, but practically speaking, that, is that not challenging? All authority is created by God. All authority has its final uh, source in Jesus Christ. So if somebody's elected as president, if somebody is elected as governor, if somebody is appointed to a committee, if, if in our marriages and our families and our work, every boss, every police officer with the badge and the car, you, you tracking with me? He says he is the source, he is the creator of all authority. Nobody has authority apart from Jesus' authority. Now, that, now, we've got to acknowledge that who he gives that authority to are not faithful and true, always, right? And that's where the, that's where the struggle comes, right? Even, maybe even in some marriages and the relationship between husband and wife. And you don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know my boss. You don't know my, my kids. You don't know my neighbors. You don't know my senator or my representative or my governor or my president. You don't know. Does God know? And according to this, Paul says Jesus is the one that oversees that authority wherever it lies because he is the creator of authority. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. So if we say, well, I understand that he created things originally, but things have kind of got out of hand but today, Paul says, oh, no, no, no. And Paul's writing under the rule of Rome, the Roman Empire. Very godly, faithful, and true leaders, emperors, and Caesars. And in his day, he's saying, no, what, 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 the one who holds everything together, including the systems, the, the authority that we experience in our lives, it's all under his authority. Nothing is, is escaping his understanding. And nothing is outside of or somehow circumvents his authority. That's how he introduces himself. 
And who is he speaking to? Just quickly, we know, that we know the church as the Laodicean church. That's the city. It's interesting, we know a little bit about them, unlike the other churches, because Paul refers to them in his, his epistle or his letter to Colossians. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, for those in Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me in person, so Paul hadn't been to this church, but he loved them. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. Isn't that good? Isn't that a good prayer? Isn't that a good heart? Paul has for the church in Laodicea. Look at chapter 4, verse 15 in Colossians. Give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her name. When this letter has been read, the letter to the Colossians, when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And notice this little thing that he sneaks in there. See that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Paul had written a letter to Laodicea. We don't have it in our canon but he, he wrote it to them, and he says, I want you to read that too, because it's good stuff. I want you to know that. That's who this letter here in Revelation is written to. A very wealthy city. It's interesting in, in studying this. You, you want, you'll never guess. I'll give you one chance. What do you think the source of their wealth was? You get one chance. Wrong. Eh, see, you're all wrong. No, sorry. Good guess, though. Shiny black wool they had somehow grown these flocks of sheep that had black wool and it was just it was luxurious and shiny and people loved it and people paid a premium for it isn't that interesting maybe not but it was to me um they were they were devastated and it's interesting here we are in 2023 um as matt pointed out a couple of weeks ago all these churches these towns are in turkey modern day turkey and the, the city of Laodicea, at least twice we know of, was completely destroyed by earthquakes. Completely destroyed. And it's interesting that when Caesar, when the imperial government offered to help repair, they refused and said, no, we got this. Don't worry, we got it. We'll take care of this. That's who this is written to. Look at verse 15 back in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus now delivers his message to this church through the Apostle John. He says, I know your works. We've seen this phrase multiple times, right? Jesus says, I'm aware of what's going on. Now, just this is our last look, so I want to pause here just briefly. We can't miss the principle here, the truth that is in these letters, that Jesus is very present in our midst right now. That he knows. He's aware He's aware of what's happening in our individual lives. He knows what's happening in our marriages. He knows what's happening in our families. He knows what's happening in our, in our physical bodies. He knows what's happening in our relationships as a church family. He knows what's happening in us as we live out the mission that he's called us to live out. He even knows that there's people at home sleeping right now that are, are they're probably frantically getting ready right now. Because they finally looked at their phone instead of the wall clock and went, <gasps> and then they're getting ready. He's here. He's present. And he's, he says this repeatedly to his church. I know your life. I know your works. I know what you are all about. And I know in this case that you're neither cold nor hot. 
I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are not cold or hot, but in fact you are lukewarm, you are tepid, you are room temperature. And what, what does that mean? It means instead of being intentionally cold or hot, you're just letting the atmosphere dictate what you are. You're just letting the room temperature, the room dictate what you are. Do you see a problem with that, church? So did he. Because you're lukewarm, because you're just whatever the, the temperature, the culture is around you, the setting, and you're not hot and you're not cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. I just said the word vomit in church. <laughs> Dude, where are our junior hires that should be like, yeah, he said vomit from up front. Jesus says, I'm going to spill, I'm, okay, and I don't want to be gross, but I want to make sure we understand what he's saying here. Think about the last time you threw up and how, <laughs> right? Is, is that enough description to put you there? I don't want to get graphic. You can get graphic in your own mind. Like, oh, and go back. That, that, that whole, that repulsion. I recently had a medical thing happen, and, and in the middle of the night, I started doing that, but there was nothing that came out, right? Is that okay to say it that way? There was nothing there, and when I, when, when I went to the hospital and, da -da -da, and they took everything, the doctor told me, said that there's times when you have so much pain in your body that your body will just want to, it's like trying to vomit out the pain, and I couldn't, I couldn't stop it. I could, I'm just right there at the great white throne, and I'm just, oh, I'm just, you know, and it's just, oh, and it's, it's violent, and it's all-encompassing, and Jesus chooses that word to describe his reaction to his people when they are lukewarm, when they're tepid. Is that graphic? It is. And I didn't choose the picture. He did. He says, I know that you're, you're lukewarm. You're not cold. You're not hot. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth because, and now he's going to describe what lukewarm looks like kind of how we become lukewarm because you say you see yourself you think about you claim that you are rich and that you have become wealthy and you need nothing and you don't know you literally cannot see that you are wretched you are pitiful you are poor you are blind and you are naked we say we're rich we have everything we need. We're abounding. Rich there means to bound. Have more than I need. I'm abounding in resources. We say I'm wealthy. And this is a word that means I've become wealthy through my own means. I'm wealthy and I'm the responsible for getting me here. Can you do this with me? Everybody do this. You know what this means? Come on guys. Short hair. It's okay. Dennis, you're good. Just pretend. You know, I'm, I'm all that in a bag of chips, is what my wife says. I, I, I have what I need, I have these resources, and I have them because of me. We say, I need nothing. I have what I need, things are working out, I'm making it on my own. And yet God says in response to that, he says, you are wretched, which means to be infested with trouble. And it is a word that describes uh, used to describe bugs, infested with, and you fill in the blank. I'm infested with trouble. Paul used this word in Romans 7 when he said, I don't do what I do and I do what I don't want to do. What a wretched, what an infested man I am. God says you're pitiful. 
Literally, you're miserable. You're poor. You're helpless. You're powerless. You're blind. And it's a word that describes like cataracts, like the smokiness gets in our eyes, opaqueness, and we no longer can see clearly. And you're naked. You're exposed. God hates. Write this down in your brain, in your heart, on your note, in the margin of your Bible. God hates the taste of arrogance and apathy. And that's what being lukewarm is. It's taking on the, the characteristic, the primary characteristic of the, the atmosphere, the setting that we're in. And it's almost, I don't care when in history or where in the world, it's always the same. It's arrogance and apathy. It's an arrogance that says, I somehow, anything good in my life, anything that I have, somehow I'm responsible. I worked hard to get it. Or maybe somebody gave it to me. But it's certainly not God. He's good. He's there. When I need him, I pray and I ask him and he responds. But this is about me. And there's, there's an apathy in that moment when there is a spiritual, physical, material arrogance that says I don't need, I don't desperately need God. And we just settle into this. I'm okay. I got this. Now we get woken up from that when crisis comes into our life. So it's been called foxhole faith sometimes. The idea that, man, I, I'm just overwhelmed with the circumstances, and I'm not, I'm not judging us that this is how we always live. Jesus is saying, when, in this case, them, and it couldn't be true of us, you're lukewarm, you're not hot, you're not cold, you are just taking on what's around you, and you are apathetic. And we get woken up sometimes when there's crisis, and we're overwhelmed with the reality that I'm not okay, that I do need him, and we cry out to him. But what happens over time often? We slide back into that arrogance and that apathy. God's, God's desire, God's heart, is that we would wake up every day, and it's, it's through all seven letters, that we would, as his children, his church, we'd wake up every day, and we would approach every day with a quiet desperation for God. That's a negative word, isn't it? It feels negative, right? It's humbling. It's, it's, it's offensive even that I would be desperate for anything. And yet that is the life of faith and following him is a quiet desperation. I need God. And I don't just need him for what he can do for me. I need to serve him. I need to follow him. I need to live for him. I need to make my life his. Or as Jesus said, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. Now you, for most of us, one of those three is the challenge. Some might be all three, but for many of us, it's one of the three. And that can change, right? Deny yourself, maybe that's your battle. Maybe self-control, maybe wanting to live life on your own terms. Deny yourself. Do you see the desperate need for God? I will acknowledge before all of you, I desperately need God to help me deny myself on a daily basis. Anyone else willing to stand with me? I desperately need him. Otherwise, I don't deny myself. I mean, look. <laughs> you know, I need to deny myself a little more here. What about pick up your cross? To identify with Jesus Christ, to identify with the Savior of the world 
and say that my life is not my own. I've been buried with Christ, risen with Christ, and now this life that I live, I live for him, crucified to the flesh. Maybe that's your challenge. Or maybe it's follow directions. <laughs> follow him. Anybody willing to raise your hand and say, that's my challenge, because I know what's best. I know what, how to do things. I'm good at blank, and so... But that's how Jesus said to live this quiet desperation is to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That's hot. That's not the, that's not the temperature of, our, of the world that we live in. <clears throat> that's not the temperature of our families maybe sometimes. And God protect us from having that temperature in his church. Because that's what he's upset about. He's not talking to the culture. He's not talking to the people that are following other gods and other lives. He's looking at his, his children who say, we are the church. And he says, but I want to vomit you out of my mouth because you're, you're room temperature. You've lost your sense of desperation for me. And instead, I, I taste arrogance and I taste apathy towards me and following me. God hates the taste of arrogance and apathy. It makes him sick. We think we can be in the world and, and of the world. We say that we have the best of both worlds. We act like we can serve two masters. Do you hear Jesus in your head right now? You cannot serve two masters. Can you hear him speaking? Are you familiar with those words of his? You cannot serve two masters. You cannot be room temperature and follow me. It's interesting the word Laodicea means rule of the people. A theologian said this, its name, the name Laodicea, designates it as the church of mob rule, the democratic church in which everything is swayed and decided by popular opinion, clamor, or voting. We live in, we live in a time where it's, Every leader's doing this. Not every leader, I should, that's not true. But many leaders, right? You know what this means? Does anybody know what that means? I'm not hungry. Yeah, which way does the wind blow? And then that's, that's the way I'm going to go. And we live in a time where everybody's opinion needs to be heard, should be heard. We all have a right to be at the table. We all have a right to say what we think. We should all be able to speak. And boy, do we love democracy. And I'm not saying I don't like democracy, but boy, do we have a problem when we think democracy is not the ruling value of the day. How dare someone else dictate our lives? I'm telling you, I need, I need to live with a quiet desperation for God if I'm going to be a slave of Jesus Christ. That goes against every fiber of my being. That goes against every thought that I naturally have. That I would willingly be a slave to some, someone else. And yet is that not how Jesus describes, how the word of God describes we are to follow him, to live for him? Willingly, joyfully. So verse 18, how do I avoid being lukewarm? You're going to have to listen a little bit faster. Are you ready? Verse 18. This is Jesus speaking. Don't miss that. In my Bible and yours, it just says I. Maybe right in there, Jesus says, 
I advise you to buy, to do business with me, to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed in your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, Jesus, why are you being so blunt, so to the point, so harsh? As many as I love, I rebuke, I correct, and I discipline, I train them. Do you hear God's heart towards you and me? Even if we're lukewarm and he wants to spit us out of his mouth? As many as I love, underline that word, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be committed and repent. Listen. Literally, it's see. Now, I like listen in, in our translation because that's our series, listen up. But it's really, the intent is to see something. Pay attention. Check this out. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, into her, into the home, into their life, and have dinner. Sit down with them and they with me. And we will sit at the table and we will commune. I ask you to consider again, are you making Jesus wait? Is Jesus at, the, at your door saying, hey, can I, can I please come in? The creator, the amen, the faithful, true, faithful and true, the sustainer of all life is at my door saying, Kurt, Kurt, I'm here. Can I come in? And am I making him wait? Because I know what he's going to talk about when he comes in. What do I do? Real quick, I'm going to do this in 10 seconds. You ready? Choose Jesus every time. Choose Jesus. Make a choice. The lukewarm person is just kind of whatever the flow, whatever the, whatever the, the, the popular opinion, whatever is happening around me, that's what I am. In the city of Laodicea, this is who I'm going to be. The city, my culture is going to shape me. Jesus says, would you stop? Just make a choice. Choose me. Choose gold refined in fire. It's a picture of our faith. Choose white clothes. It's a picture of purity and forgiveness and righteousness being covered by his blood. Choose ointment for your eyes. It's a picture of healing so that we can see clearly. Choose Jesus. Number two, let go of everything else. Let go of everything else. Don't hold on to Jesus and whatever it is that you are unwilling to let go of. Choose Jesus, let go of everything else. Paul says this to his letter, in his letter to Titus. For the grace of God has appeared, that's Jesus, with salvation for all people. And instructing us, this grace of God instructs us to deny godliness and worldly lust and to live a sensible, righteous, and, in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age, in the day that he's put me, while I wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Choose Jesus and let go of everything else. Let go of everything that sparkles and everything that looks appealing in this world. Let go, put it down. Choose him. And finally... Listen up, church. Listen up, child of God, because Jesus is knocking at your door. Why? Because he loves you. Yeah, but I'm, I am lukewarm. He knows. And he loves you. And he wants to come in and he wants to sit down and he wants to have a talk. Because he loves us. So open the door. 
open the door. If you've been ignoring the door, if you've been putting chairs in front of the door, whatever it is, open the door. Let him in. Don't make him wait. The victor, verse 21. The victor, I will give him the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also won the victory and sat down with my father on his throne. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I encourage you, if you've been here or not for the whole series or parts of it, go back and read what he says, what he promises to each church. Because the reality is it's all over the map, the churches and what's happening and the good and the bad and the ugly and the dead and the living and the vomiting and all. It's all over the map. But every single church, he makes a promise. You put it all together and that's my future. That's your future. Really? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I want to invite the worship team those that are going to lead us in a response to come up. And as they're coming up, would you guys put the questions up on the screen? I want to ask you to consider something with me. Number one, are you experiencing victory in your daily life? The word victor is used all through these letters. His intent is that we would not stay lukewarm, but that we would live victorious lives. If you're not experiencing victory on a daily basis, something is wrong. And I'm going to suggest to you that you're ignoring the knock at your door. Because you let him in, and you sit down with him, and you open up to him, and you trust him, you will experience, in his power, you'll experience victory in whatever it is that you're not. Are we experiencing victory on a daily basis? Number two, what does your future look like? Do you know? Do you think about it? I'm going to Disneyland next month. Do you think that I think about that? I do, partly because my daughter keeps sending me videos with churros. You know there's churros all over Disneyland? Anybody know this? All these different flavor churros. And so I go to sleep and I'm thinking, oh, am I going to do the peaches and cream or am I going to do the strawberry shortcake? Or am I gonna do, you know, I'm thinking about my future. I'm thinking about being there with some grandkids and enjoying that. What is our future based on what Jesus tells us? And are we thinking about it? Are we living for it? Is it a reality in our daily lives that this is my future, so today I'm going to live for him? And finally, will you join me in examining your investments? You know what your investments are? I thought, wow, look at my Amazon wish list, look at my DoorDash records, look at Netflix, look at YouTube, look at TikTok, look at my credit cards, look at my bank account. Do you realize there's a digital trail of your investments? Maybe we need to do a good, hard examination of our investments. Am I cold? Am I hot? Or am I lukewarm? He's knocking on the door. Let's not make him wait. Let's not make him wait any longer. Father, open up our hearts to open up the door to you. We love you, but we know we need to grow. We know we need to change. We know we need you to transform us. Forgive us for leaving you outside the door and help us right now in this moment as we respond, as we listen to your voice, help us to open the door and let you in. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Amen.